Hijacked, A Beechwood Adventure by G. Michael Smith Chapter 3 The Club Meeting The meeting always started with a roll call. Everyone was lined up with their backs against the fence at the end of Maple Lane. A grassy strip of land ran the length of the fence. All the roads that ran perpendicular to the fence ended at the edge of the grassy strip. It was no more than ten metres wide. The old maple was at one end, just inside the fence. Billy knew who was there, but it was protocol to call out everyone's name. He liked to pretend that he was looking at a list and reading the names. He would mix up the order so that no one knew who was next, unless you were last. Then you knew because there was no one else. Binky, he called. Here, Binky whispered. Binky, Billy called again. He had heard Anthony Berkowitz, a.k.a. Binky, but he wanted to make him speak louder. Binky looked at the ground and grabbed onto the pouch he wore around his waist. The pouch hid a small, stuffed animal that no one had really seen except Jackie. He had snuck a peek once when he was at Binky's house. Everyone knew it was there, though, and hence his nickname. Binky carried his Binky with him at all times. Jackie threw up his hands. Oh, for fiddlesakes, Bink, speak up! Here, said Binky. He had not spoken any louder than he had the first time, but Billy knew better than to push the issue. Mad Dog, he said. Here, said Maddox O'Hara. Maddox was a big boy with a large head of thick red hair and a face covered with freckles. The gang called him Mad Dog or Red Dog or sometimes just Dog. His nickname suggested he was tough. But Maddox was anything but tough. He liked animals, especially soft, cuddly dogs, but he could never have one because his mom was allergic to just about everything. Petra, said Billy. A tall girl standing in the middle of the group did a series of cartwheels around Billy and said, Here, 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 four times, one for each cartwheel. Her name was Elizabeth Petra. Werner. Everybody called her Petra. She hated Elizabeth and all the short forms like Beth and Lizzie or Liz. Charming, said Billy. Present, said Charming. His manners were perfect. Devanish Sharma had recently moved into one of the older homes at the far end of Beechwood Glen. His family had moved from Mumbai the previous year. He was a small boy, but he was very smart. Not smart like Jackie, but smart like your teacher was smart. He knew lots of stuff, but he seldom said anything until he was asked. So when he first joined the Braves, Petra called him Charming Charming. The charming part stuck. Orf, said Billy. I'm here, she said curtly then continued, where else would I be? God, this taking attendance is majorly lame. 
All you have to do is look up and see that we're all here. I want to make a motion that we stop taking attendance. Any discussion? She looked at everyone. No one said a word. Great. There's no discussion. So let's vote. All those in favor of stopping this silly activity of taking roll call, raise your right hand and say aye. She raised her hand and said aye. No one else said anything. They were all used to her antics. Her name was Sally Ann Singleton. She was always staying at someone else's house, and Billy's sister called her little orphan Annie. The gang shortened it to Orf. Billy shrugged his shoulders and said, I call this meeting to order. Just a minute, Billy boy, you seem to have forgotten something, said Jackie. What have I forgotten? Well, from my perspective, you seem to have committed a giant faux pas. A what? asked Petra. I think he said giant foam pot, whispered Binky. An error, a social mistake that might cause embarrassment, corrected Charming. Billy spoke up. Okay, Jackie, what I do? It was not what you did, it was what you neglected to do, said Jackie. What did I neglect to do? Billy asked. I can't believe you didn't notice what you did not do. They all looked at him questioningly. You were taking roll call, and you seem to have forgotten something. They all looked at him again. Jackie waved his hands about in exasperation. You didn't call my name. I'm part of this gang, a very important part, I might add, and I deserve the respect of being included when the roll is called. Oh, sorry, said Billy before calling out. Jackie, Jackie frowned. I told you to call me Tinker. Everyone has a cool nickname, and I want to be called Tinker. Sorry. Tinker, said Billy. Here, said Jackie. They all sat down in a circle, with Billy leaning against the concrete fence. Right. We're all here, so let's open the floor to discussion. School has been out for a week now, and we still have no plans. Any suggestions? asked Billy. Jackie raised his hand, but immediately started speaking. Billy and I checked out the fruit trees at the old Cooper place, and nothing is ready yet. So I thought we might get ourselves a clubhouse, like a real gang, instead of meeting here by the fence. He paused. We could scrounge up some building materials. I know where there's a stack of old two-by-fours. Charming raised his hand carefully and waited for Billy to acknowledge him. Billy nodded, and he spoke. I like the idea of a secret clubhouse, but there's only one pro Orf started talking. A secret hideout? That would be very cool. I mean, we could sleep in it and use it as our base for cherry raids. A clubhouse, not a hideout. I doubt it would be secret, said Jackie. Why not? I like the idea of a secret place where we could meet, said Mad Dog. We could store stuff at a secret hideout. I could hide my skateboard so my creepy big brother can't steal it. Petra did another series of cartwheels and spoke while she spun. I don't know if my dad would let me. Jackie was warming to the idea of a secret hideout. 
as opposed to a clubhouse, and burst out, "'What part of secret do you not understand? "'If it were a secret, your dad would never know. "'Cheese!' "'Binky whispered something that Billy only half heard. "'Billy spoke to him. "'Binky has something to say.' "'He looked expectantly at Binky. "'I can get a big green tarp,' he said. "'Good,' said Billy. "'We have some two-by-fours and a tarp. "'What else would we need?' "'Plywood,' said Mad Dog. "'I think we might be able to borrow a couple of pieces "'from the recycle pile in my yard. "'No one would even notice.' "'Now we're talking, but we have a problem,' said Billy. "'He looked around at everyone, and they looked back expectantly.' Where can we build it? I know Beechwood like the back of my hand. The only place I can think of is the small wooded area behind old Leech's house. But he would kick us out before we even get started. That's a problem, all right, said Maddox. I have to go soon. If I don't do my chores, my dad will be on my case. Everyone think about where we might build this secret hideout and scrounge up any building materials you can. We will meet here on Thursday, said Billy. Everyone drifted away to their respective houses. Everyone except Petra. She cartwheeled down the lawn. Jackie pulled Billy aside and whispered in his ear, Want to check out the grave? All we have to do is mosey on over to the maple, climb over and onto the roof. If no one is there, we could peek inside the tent. What do you think? No way. Too risky. My dad would kill me if we messed with a possible crime scene. Anyway, dad is getting some takeout and I want to make sure it's pizza. Otherwise, he will get Indian or Greek. Yuck. See you after work tomorrow. Billy started to run home, leaving Jackie ambling along, kicking rocks on his way home. Suddenly, Jackie looked up and yelled in the direction of Billy's house. I don't suppose you would consider inviting your best friend over for pizza? But Billy was gone. Chapter 4 A Tunnel to Nowhere the next morning, when they arrived at the Cooper place, Billy could see the tent still in the backyard, covering the old grave. It was wrapped in yellow police tape with the words, Do Not Cross, repeated along its length. It seems they haven't taken the skeleton away yet, noted Billy. They decided it was not a case of foul play, so they're leaving it in place until they can get someone from the university to check it out. That will happen sometime later this week. The police asked me to keep an eye on the tent and make sure it was not disturbed. He looked at Billy. I am delegating that responsibility to you. No one is to enter that tent and touch the bones. Are we clear? Billy knew what are we clear meant. Yes, sir, he responded quickly. No one is to go near the tent. I will let the Braves know. Especially Jack Houston, said his father. He let the name Houston hang in the air, as if it had special meaning. Billy understood what he meant. I will make sure he doesn't disturb anything. 
Billy was given a new job. His dad had to do a major repair on the kitchen pipes. Some of them were made of lead, and lead was a huge health problem, especially when it was used in water pipes. It was poisonous. He had to tear out all the old pipes, replace them with copper, and use a solder that did not contain any lead. Why would they use lead if it was poisonous? asked Billy. I guess they didn't think it would come out of the metal. I suppose it happened so slowly that nobody noticed. They also used it in some paints, and kids got sick when they chewed on their painted toys. Lead gets into the environment and is ingested by animals as well. They get sick and die. We even used to use it in gasoline for our cars. Notice the gas pumps now say unleaded. Interesting, huh? His father smiled. You need to know this stuff if you're going to be helping me. Yeah, I guess, Billy shrugged. What do you want me to do? You can start by taking out all that junk to the truck, and then we will have to clean down there, he said, pointing at the middle of the kitchen floor. Then he handed Billy a pair of work gloves. Use these. Billy stood looking at the kitchen floor where his father had pointed. Down where? he asked. Down in the old cellar. Get this stuff cleaned up and I'll show you, replied his father. Billy cleared up all the junk on the floor of the old kitchen. It was mostly bits of wood, plaster and pipe that his dad had torn out the day before. He carried it to the truck. He knew better than to throw the stuff in the back of the truck. His dad had told him to put an old tarp in the back and then place the junk on the tarp. No throwing, Billy could hear his dad's favorite saying. Respect your tools and they will serve you well. Billy placed all the junk in the truck. Dad, the truck's full, he announced. Good work. I'll take it to the recycling center. I want you to go down there, he said, gesturing toward a trap door in the corner of the kitchen, and clean out any junk that you find. I need the cellar cleared so I can fix these pipes from below. Stack the junk in the front yard, and I will make a second trip to the recycling center. If you find anything valuable, you can keep it. There's some old stories about gold and silver being melted down in the cellar of the Cooper place. My grandfather used to tell me stories about a band of thieves that were never caught. They used to steal gold and silver from people's houses in town and from the miners when they came back from the gold fields. They would melt it down and sell it. He laughed and wiped some of the sweat from his forehead with the back of his hand. Mrs. Cooper said that those are old wives' tales. Her grandfather used to cast brass trinkets. She still has some of them, a seahorse and a unicorn, I think. They used to be on the mantle above the fireplace when I was a kid. Pretty cool stuff. I can have any gold that I find, asked Billy. Really? Absolutely, said his father with a grin on his face as he left the house. He called back. Get a move on. I'll be back in an hour or so. Oh, and you'll need a light. I don't think there are any lights down there. You'll find a flashlight in the toolbox. Billy cast his eyes to the outline of the trap door. 
Close to the wall was a hand grip that was used to open the wooden cover in the floor. The secret door in the floor would make a great title, Billy thought. He had to remember it when school started. He could use it for a story. He picked up the flashlight and pulled up the hinged trap door. The door dropped open with a bang and dust filled the air. Billy pointed the flashlight at the dust-filled darkness below. A steep set of wooden steps appeared in the beam of the flashlight. Spooky, he thought. And then, don't be stupid, get down there and clean it up. He went down the steps backwards like he was climbing down a ladder, holding on to the handrail. He jumped onto the floor from the last two steps, turned around and swept the flashlight over the room. It wasn't totally dark. There was a small, high window covered with boards. The light through the cracks caught the dust stirred up by his jump to the floor. He coughed and looked up at the opening at the top of the stairs, checking to make sure the door was still open. Maybe that's why people called it a trap door. It trapped people in spooky cellars like this one. There wasn't much left to pick up and take out to the tarp his father had left. It was mostly dust and spiderwebs, and even they looked abandoned. All the spiders were long gone, leaving only tattered webs behind. What did that say about this place, he wondered. On one wall was a large metal hood that tapered to a pipe and went through the wall at its highest point. Below the hood was what looked like a barbecue pit filled with black cinders or lava rocks. Billy leaned over, pointing the flashlight at the black surface. His foot stepped on something, but before he could lift it, a quick puff of air burst up from the black lava rocks, carrying dust with it. The dust filled his eyes and face. He coughed and stepped back, his heart pounding. He shone the flashlight at his feet and saw that he had stepped on a pedal of sorts. He gingerly stepped on the pedal again, and a puff of air came up, filling the flashlight beam with dust. Billy laughed and pressed the pedal again. It pumps air into this big barbecue, he said out loud as he laughed and stepped on the pedal again. He swept the flashlight around the room. Along the far wall was a wooden bench. It had small open boxes of sand metal shapes, and various odd-looking tools strewn across it. Above that was a series of storage boxes set into the wall. They held more of the long-shaped metal objects, blocks of wax, and chunks of clay long since hardened to rock. On the floor, in one corner, were some empty sacks that had once held sand, and some broken wooden boxes with a picture of an apple burned into one side. He picked up the pieces of boxes and carried them upstairs. Gosh, I'll be finished in no time if this is all there is, he thought as he climbed the stairs, went outside, and piled the trash on the tarp. He returned and picked up a sack, pausing when he heard a metallic tinkle. 
something was inside. Reaching inside, he retrieved a fork and a small spoon. Weird, he thought, wondering why silverware would be in a sack. He put them on the bench with the other metal objects and carried the sacks up the ladder, adding them to the junk boards on the tarp. Just then he heard a truck. He looked up and saw that his dad had returned. "'What else is left down in the cellar?' his father asked as he got out of the truck and looked over the tarp pile. "'Not much,' replied Billy. "'Just some bits and pieces on the bench and in the wooden cubbies. Lots of weird stuff.' "'What kind of weird stuff?' his father asked. "'I have not been down there yet to explore.' I only caught a glimpse from the trapdoor opening. There's a barbecue down there. It looks like a barbecue anyway, but it's built in. It has a smoke hood and lava rocks. The same kind of rocks we used to have in our old barbecue, he prattled. And wax, and weird pieces of metal, and a funny thing that blows air right into the barbecue when you press on it. That must be the old forge, his father said responding to Billy's puzzled expression. "'What's a forge?' asked Billy. "'Well,' he began slowly, "'on second thought, why don't we just go and check it out?' He grabbed the trouble light and an extension cord. Lighting their way down, he then hung the bright light on a nail sticking out of an old beam. Billy could see everything clearly. "'Yep, it's an old forge, and... This is called the bellows. They would start a fire with coal in the fire pit here, his father pointed at the center pit. They pumped air into the fire with the bellows to add more oxygen and make the fire hot enough to melt metals like bronze and silver and even gold. Come to think of it, Mrs. Cooper has lots of metal trinkets and figurines. I bet they were cast in this room. They must have been made by her grandfather. We can ask her when she visits next month. He stopped and looked around. Let's get to work. See those pipes up there? He asked, pointing to the ceiling above the bench. We have to get them out of there so I can install new ones. For the next two hours, Billy was running and fetching and holding anything his father asked him to fetch or hold. They stopped for lunch after the old pipes were out and the new ones in. After lunch, Billy's dad had to go across town to bid on his next job. He asked Billy to clean out all the wooden cubbies and gather all the bits and pieces and put them in a box for Mrs. Cooper to look at. Billy climbed up on the bench and started to empty each of the small cubbies. Spiders were his only concern. He shined the flashlight into each cubby before reaching in to collect the contents. He put all the metal pieces in one box and the wax carvings in another. In one of the upper cubbies was a metal ring, like what you might see in the nose of a storybook bull. Billy smiled at the thought and then he grabbed it, but it didn't move. One edge was stuck to the bottom of the cubby. He pulled as hard as he could, but the cubby was too high for him to put any real power into it. He climbed down, 
grabbed a thick block of wood from under the bench and climbed back up and on top of the wooden block to have a better angle. Grasping the metal ring with both hands, he pulled. For a moment, the ring remained where it was, stuck in the bottom, but then it gave way and slowly came out of the cubby. There was a wire cable attached to the bottom of the ring that vanished down a small hole in the cubby. Billy gave it a strong tug, and suddenly he was falling over backwards. There was a rumble, a creak, and a whipping sound as the cable snapped tight. Then a crash, and the sound of splintering wood as the box of metal trinkets was tipped onto the floor. Billy jerked to a stop. He was leaning backwards, holding onto the ring with the cable stretching back into a hole in the cubby. Something else had happened as well. The left side of the shelf, containing half of the cubbies, had swung open, leaving a gaping black hole in the wall in front of Billy. He gasped and pulled himself upright. He could feel cool air rushing out of the hole onto his face. He put his hand up to feel it, and startled. There was blood on his hand. The sharp edge of the metal ring had cut into his fingers when the cable attached to it had become taut. He instinctively brought his cut hand to his mouth to suck the blood and ease the pressure of the building pain. At that moment he noticed he had also smeared his own blood on his cheek and forehead. Billy climbed down off the bench. He sucked on his cut hand, never taking his eyes off the gaping hole in the wall. His heart had been jumping in his chest and was beginning to slow. He'd also been holding his breath. When his feet hit the floor, he sucked air into his lungs and glanced up at the trap door. He thought about his father, who wouldn't be back for at least an hour. Now there was a hole in the wall, a huge, black, spider-filled hole in the wall above the bench. Billy reached out and felt for the flashlight he'd left somewhere on the bench. For fear of what might crawl or leap out, he would not take his eyes from the hole in the wall. He took a deep breath and focused, trying to slow his pounding heart while searching for the light with his hands. If he glanced away from the hole, even for the nanosecond it would take to find the flashlight, a beast might leap from its prison through the lattice of web right onto Billy Boy and do whatever it is that monsters from secret dark spider-filled holes in the wall do to children. Billy's hand found the flashlight. His heart slowed a little. Turning the light on, he pointed it at the hole in the wall. His heart was nearing a normal pace, and he thought, Billy boy, you are an idiot. There's nothing there. It's just a dirty hole in the wall. He laughed at his silliness and deliberately turned his back to the hole. Thinking better of it, he quickly spun back around, as if to catch whatever might be creeping out of the hole. Maybe he could freeze it like the game. Go, go, stop. If you saw someone move after you called stop, they were out of the game. 
If he caught the creature that was imprisoned in the black hole in his flashlight beam, he could freeze it mid-jump and survive the attack. Don't be a silly newt, he said out loud. The sound of his own voice seemed to calm his nerves. Get up on that bench and look in there. He climbed up on the bench and stuck his flashlight through the spider webs. It was a small, empty, grotto-like cave. The floor of the cave was three stone steps down. Billy waved his flashlight in a circle to clear away the spider webs and give him a better view of the cave. There seemed to be nothing unusual. The floor was dirt, the walls were rock, except his flashlight didn't illuminate a back wall. Taking a deep breath, he stepped down to the cave's floor. He went three steps forward before he had to duck his head. The cave was like a funnel that narrowed down and to the left. He crouched and moved forward, holding the flashlight out in front like a lightsaber. He would use it to slice through any monsters that might be hidden around the corner. He laughed out loud at his silliness an imaginary weapon to save him from the attack of an imaginary monster, he thought as he crawled forward and poked his head around the corner. The beam of the flashlight slid over a wall of red brick. Billy turned and looked around. The cave was empty. He breathed in the cool air. I wonder what... He stopped talking. He had heard something. He held his breath. There, he heard it again. He moved back toward the opening, trying to locate the direction of the sound. He heard a loud metal clank. It sounded like it was coming from the bricked-up wall. Billy turned and scrambled up onto the bench and out of the cave. His heart was beating like bongo drums in his chest. He reached over and pushed on the wall of cubbies to close up the cave. The metal ring on the end of the cable slithered back into the cubby that concealed it, and the wall closed. The sound did not. There was a loud crash, but it came from upstairs. Did this cave play sound tricks? Billy breathed deep. William, are you still down there? He heard his father yell from the kitchen above the cellar. I need a little help here. My meeting was cancelled, so I bought some of the materials we need. Billy climbed the wooden stair ladder and poked his head out of the trap door. There you are. Help me unload the truck, said Billy's father. He looked at Billy's face and reached out, grabbing him by the shoulders. What happened to you? You got blood all over your face. Oh, it's nothing, Billy replied, realizing the sound he had heard was his father dropping bags of pipe fittings on the floor of the kitchen above. The sound must have echoed off the brick wall. He breathed out slowly. I'll get what's left in the truck. He left the room, not knowing why he didn't tell his father about the secret wall of cubbies and the empty cave.